Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Okay, welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg. I am really psyched to be here. I'm psyched that everyone is here for this episode that features my conversation with Rick Leishtung. I'm really psyched uh, that I was able to sit down with Rick and chat for a bit. If you're here for this episode with Rick, welcome to Roadcase. If you are a regular listener to Roadcase, welcome back and thanks so much for your support. And as I do like to remind everyone, there's a number of different ways that you can get involved with the Roadcase community. Uh, the, f- the first is by following us on social media. We're on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You know what those are. And our handle is at RoadcasePod. You can follow us on Instagram for uh, updates on new episodes and interesting things that are going on in the Roadcase community. Um, I also have a Email uh, info at roadcasepod.com. Feel free to hit me with suggestions for guests if you'd like. If you have any great ideas, love to follow up with those. Um, also, any any comments, um, issues, critiques, uh, shout at me for something. That's all good. Um, love to get email. I appreciate everyone that sent in emails, and I promise, as always, that I'll get back to you. We also have a website, www.roadcasepod.com, where you can find out more information on where to listen to Roadcase and uh, uh, all kinds of different stuff there. Uh, Another great way to support Roadcase is to rate and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. So if you're on Apple Podcasts, which is really popular, just scroll down a tiny bit to where it says rate and review, uh, hit a couple of stars, write a couple words of review. That would be much appreciated. So for this episode, I've got Rick Leishtung, who is the owner of concert promoter Ad Hoc Presents. Rick is also the co-founder of NYC Nightlife United, which is a nonprofit that raises funds for small businesses and creative workers affected by COVID. Um, And everything Rick does, both as a concert promoter and their nonprofit work with uh, NYC Nightlife United, there is a singular focus on promoting and supporting the BIPOC and LGBTQ communities. And we'll learn more about that. Rick is a super duper go-getter. I love that about Rick. Uh, They're always looking to help others, and Rick really does do what uh, they believe in, and I really, really respect that and support that. Um, Really glad that everyone's here for this episode. Uh, Thanks again for your support, and I want to send a special shout-out to Rick Leishtung for being here on this episode of Roadcase, and here we go. Okay, great. Hey, Rick, how are you doing today, man? Thanks for joining me. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and you're from, uh, you're, where are you in New York? 
Uh, I'm in Queens right now uh-huh. uh, at my at my house. Just moved here from from Brooklyn over the pandemic. Seems like everybody's kind of shuffling up their living situation in New York City because of it. So, you know. Here I am, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I had like a Brooklyn vibe from you, like on everything that I've, I've learned about you. So I was going to ask, I was like, oh, and then I saw like you were in Queens. I'm like, oh, what, what happened, man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, not pretty much. I, I actually just, all I did was move maybe 15 blocks away from where I was before. But now all of a sudden I have to be like, well, actually I'm in Queens now. Well, you could just say, you know, you could just say, uh, that say that you're from Brooklyn, you know? So that's true. I could, but then you know, there's always going to be a naysayer to be like, "You're somewhere else" or something. I just don't even want to. You you have to tell the truth every step of the way, otherwise it will absolutely come back to bite you. So, yeah, true. It's yeah. like, wait, wait, hold on. You're Queens, and then like someone's posting something on social media. It's like this guy's not in Brooklyn. It's in Queens. He's across the road. He's like across Flatbush Avenue or whatever it is. I, whatever the delineator yeah, exactly. is. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. what do you uh? Are you a little bit more hopeful these days in terms of live music? Yeah, I'm feeling more hopeful. Um, you know, rounded tours are happening for the fall, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, our bikini kill and OC shows have been reannounced for, you know, October and, and July, 2022. And, you know, it feels like things are happening, but, um, you know, everybody's still, there's still a level of uh, uncertainty uh, and distrust that everybody has, um, whether it's promoters, artists, agents, venues, everybody just feels really uncertain about what will come and um, just really not trusting even the ability to, to conduct business as usual uh, in the fall or, or even in spring next year. Yeah, I mean, is that kind of just because we've just been beaten up so much in this industry so far because of what's happened? It's sort of like another kind of shoe dropping thing for you or kind of what's your mentality and how are you handling that to move forward? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's easy to, to feel defeated because, you know, um, yeah, it, it simply is. But uh, I think you just have to sort of maintain a certain sense of uh, optimism and uh, uh stupidity i guess and just kind of <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> ignorantly uh just drum, drum along and uh and, and hope for the best because ultimately there's there's very little choice uh yeah yeah for us. it's I either mean, you're in, you're in for the ride and you and you wait and see yeah. or you know you, you you get a job in an entirely different industry and yeah, I mean, kind of ignorance is bliss, but ignorance is ignorance, though. So it's good to know, kind of have a view on um, how to go about it. But I think what what I'm hearing you say is it's you you personally, maybe you just need to kind of just plow forward and not give too much thought to how bad things were, because it'll kind of cloud how you're operating um, going forward. So you're sort of a cautious optimist, it sounds like. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I think I've just found that um, speculation hasn't really done us any favors through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, hasn't done it. A lot of people much in the way of favors in that, you know, when COVID first started becoming uh, a very serious issue that was affecting the economy, I think people thought, oh, that maybe this would last a couple months, you know, rescheduled dates for, I don't know, 
three to four months later. Yeah. And then uh, when it got even more serious, everything, oh, well, it, certainly it'll be fine, uh, you know, six to nine months down. And right, right. Everything got rescheduled again. And, you know, yeah. a lot of the, uh, <laughs> it's, a lot of people are trying to plan and be responsible when ultimately nobody has enough information to do anything with any sense of certainty. Right. Uh, right. So I don't know. Speculation yeah. is kind of speculation the, the can be uh, spinning can, wheels. Yeah. Yeah. It can, uh, speculation on that can, um, cause, uh, you know, false hopes and then everyone gets bummed out at that. But, um, so it sounds like we went from cautiously optimistic to more, let's just do what we can do today in the moment. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 Which is, which is actually how, you know, um, my focus kind of shifted from, um, you know, being a promoter, um, and focusing on ad hoc to developing, um, this nonprofit called NYC Nightlife United, right. which is specifically, uh, created to, uh, help, artists and small businesses in the live event space um, get through the pandemic. Ultimately we were able to successfully fundraise uh, more than a hundred thousand dollars in grants uh, that have already gone out to um, folks that, that really needed them and yeah. you know, ultra ultra proud of that. And hopefully um, you know, the federal support via SVOG will be substantial enough that um businesses won't get left behind and slip through the cracks and get the support that they need to continue operating. When, yeah. When, when well, th th thanks for that so. elegant segue that I was going to make. I was, I was transitioning to myself, <laughs> but you just took the reins sure. on that and just went right into it. Cause uh, yeah, I was going to ask you the next thing was like about uh, the NYC nightlife United, this, the, the nonprofit that you're, that you're running. Cause that really is kind of in the moment to, you know, attack what was going on and try to try, try to make a difference. Um, how do you feel about that? I feel really proud about the work that, that we've done, but also feel like it's, uh, you know, even, even though we did a meaningful amount of fundraising and spread a lot of goodwill, um, there's still a lot of work to be done. And, um, you know, there's still, there's still so many people that, that we weren't able to help. Um, and we're still trying to figure out ways of, of making a, a meaningful impact on the industry. Um, and for the people who, who work in it. So, yeah. you know, I guess, uh, yeah, just feeling like there's still a, a whole lot of work to be done, uh, on that front. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, uh, how did you go about uh, fundraising for that? What were some of the techniques and some of the things that you you did to to earn money for that to to then uh, proportion it out? Yeah, um, I think so. We, we used a couple strategies. I mean, sort of like public facing. We obviously did like a grassroots campaign, asking you know, folks within our networks that support live music to consider donating. Um, so that was one piece. We ran a Kickstarter, mm -hmm. uh, which was successfully funded and went well, but ultimately, uh, we also leaned into, uh, brand partnerships and sponsorships. And that's where we got a considerable amount of, amount of money. Um, because we found that, um, 
we found that there were people, there were companies that were wanting to give to this cause, but they didn't really know how to go about it. Um, you know, maybe they were people that, you know, they really loved going to a certain venue or, um, or something like that, mm-hmm. but they weren't really able to say, they weren't able to justify, um, you know, a nonprofit write-off to, to make a donation. Um, or maybe they just wanted to, to do more than to just help one, one, one venue because ultimately, you know, nightlife, live events, concerts, it's, it's really a, uh, it's a, it's an entire community and an ecosystem in itself. Um, and when, when one of those pieces goes away, the entire thing is affected. So we initially did create NYC nightlife United with the intention of helping venues and small businesses. And then we realized, you know, wow, that's just, it's really just the tip of the iceberg of the people that need help. Mm-hmm. You know, artists need help. The people who are working door need help. Sound technicians need help. All these people are just in such tremendous need. Right. Um, so we kind of broadened, broadened it out to, um, to help more people. And, and that frankly was also, um, ended up being really appealing to, to certain donors. We were able to get, um, a partnership in place with MoMA PS1, Heineken helped out, um, Tito's Vodka, um, several several other like corporate sponsorships really made these grants happen. Yeah. Um, so we're really ultra grateful for that. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you who the biggest sponsors were. So um, do you kind of see this model being something – um, that you can use in other ways? I mean, what happens when everyone goes back to work? What happens to Nightlife United? Uh, can you use it in different ways? Or have you thought about that? Yeah, I think that we're we're still trying to, we're still developing what our mission will be post-COVID. Mm-hmm. But um, it's no secret that there, there are, um, there are, there's huge uh, racial equality issues in the music industry mm-hmm. as it is. There is a shortage of, um, of business owners that are women or people of color. Um, there's a shortage of workers that also identify, identify as either of those. And it's, it's a very white male dominated industry. You know, I, I am a part of that group. Yeah, but yeah. frankly, I I look at it and I'm just like, hey, hey, this is this is really fucked up. I don't know if I can say that word, but it kind of you can out. Sorry, you can bleep it out. Okay, good, great. Um, yeah, but it's it's uh it's a problematic system, and um, I think one of the things that we really want to do is try to stimulate um and and inspire um more people to start their own businesses in the music industry and to kind of change, change the tone of how things are because, um, you know, I don't think that the music industry is, um, the, the, the type of racism that happens day to day within the music industry, a lot of it is very passive and subtle and, um, it's not um, outwardly um, discriminatory. 
it's just kind of it's always it's just kind of woven into the fabric of it and i think that one of the ways that you could see change is is frankly just putting more women and people of color in positions of power and ownership mm-hmm. um it's a it's a very basic simple idea and we want to inspire folks to to start their own businesses and also frankly give them the the tools to to do so one of which is financial literacy i think that there's a lot of people that know how to do um the core that have the core talents to to run a business but they just don't know all the logistical crap that goes along with it or they're intimidated by the idea of having to you know pay attention to how money works which you know is crucial to running a business yeah. obviously it would be a but, major, a major but, component <laughs> It, it, it absolutely is, and it, it's it's crucial to understand those things. But at the same time, I think that the music industry is filled with businesses that look before they leap, and that are that are really led by vision uh, rather than a business plan. Right. Um, and I and and I think that you know a lot of people would agree that really that that the vision and the core talent um, is the most important thing that you can have because, frankly, financial literacy is something that can be taught. Um, over time. Yeah, uh, I would agree. You know, I, either with courses and mentorship or through, you know, a lot of mistakes, which yeah. really was how I learned a lot of right, mistakes. Right. But we're talking, about financial, <laughs> we're, we're talking about financial literacy in the context of diversity and promoting diversity within uh, the live music space. Um, is that by accident or is that kind of, is that part and parcel? I mean, I think it's a major hurdle for people for that prevents people from really starting their own, their own businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's also just a numbers game that comes down to, there are more people that, uh, that work for businesses than own them. Um, and it's, it's just kind of step one in, in my, in, in my book, um, for things that need to happen. And I think offering programs, um, that are tailor made, um, for for certain groups, um, could could inspire a lot of a lot of meaningful change. So that would be. Have you found areas where you could kind of help to make that happen, or what are your kind of thoughts on what that would take to either get the get get people of color that are already in those positions to promote diversity more, or Kind of, how does that begin from the from a grassroots perspective? Yeah, I think it. I think it comes down to outreach ultimately, and finding mm-hmm. people that that want to have some, you know, want to start a business or, or want to see change happen, and yeah, um, and, and aren't afraid to do it. And I think it it requires a lot of encouragement and support, and you know, frankly, it, it's uh, it's it's necessary this kind of pushing. Right. Because if we don't push for these things, then they're not just going to change on their own, frankly, mm-hmm. um, when it needs to change. It's ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> yeah. even, even when we were, you know, when we were looking at a lot of our, a lot of our applicants and, you know, NYC Nightlife United is a, is an organization that specifically champions um, BIPOC workers and business owners. Um you know, we, 
the, the number of applications that we got while it was, was quite high did not, I mean, they were, they were still relatively low in the numbers that of, of businesses specifically that were BIPOC owned. Mm -hmm. Um, there, there are frankly very few of them in in the music industry. Mm. So, you know, it's just something that we feel really passionate about, um, needing to change. Right. And I think, you know, the sense I got from you is that, uh, you just feel very passionate about that personally and have begun just tried to incorporate that. And, uh, you know, having that model already, uh, is an amazing thing, an amazing tool to have, to be able to implement that. Um, but you've also in, um, in ad hoc presents as a promoter, um, you know, we talked about that before we came on the air, just about how your personal philosophy has um, has played a huge part in how you go about representing artists. And um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, Ad Hoc was created to really give a platform for artists who weren't getting the attention that they deserve. Mm-hmm. It's really been what my entire career has been about. Initially, Ad Hoc actually started as a magazine, um, you know, for, for experiment, experimental electronic artists that people at the time weren't particularly interested in, but uh, we thought were incredibly meaningful and, and deserved uh, a space in, in, you know, popular culture right, and lo right. and behold a lot of them ended up developing and have carved out that space for them one artist that we Fuck really yeah, championed That's early awesome. was um arca who's of course gone on to work with bjork and uh also has established um themselves as um incredible artists in their in their own right mm-hmm. um and um yeah eventually uh the company kind of just evolved into a concert promotion um, business, uh, I suppose, when you know, our, 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 our uh, office was essentially this uh, shitty warehouse on the Williamsburg waterfront that we decided, hey, wouldn't it be fun if we just threw shows in this um, in this shitty warehouse? And you know, it turned <laughs> out to be a really good idea. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> and we kind of went from doing doing that to then putting together over a thousand events a year across, you know, several different territories. And, uh, wow. Yeah. It's it, better it's, than throwing, uh, it's, it's better cool. to throw shows in a shitty warehouse than throw shitty shows in a nice warehouse. It's true. That is true. <laughs> yeah, it is. But you love unconventional spaces. So let's talk about that for a little bit. This car wash show yeah. is fascinating to me. I love shows in oh, unconventional cool. spaces. Let's talk about that for a little bit, man. I get stoked about that. Yeah, car wash was a super fun one. Um, at the time, please I think tell me it was someone the... did a cover of car wash from the 1970s or something movie. Oh, I wish that they did. I don't think <laughs> that would have been amazing. Sheer Mag maybe could have tackled that. That would have been incredible. Yeah. But. <laughs> I believe it was, um, I can't remember what year it was, 2015, 2016, but it was during CMJ. And, uh, you know, CMJ was, uh, uh, I don't know, a lot of these uh, South by Southwest showcase-esque music festivals try to do things in New York. And it always just feels like a waste of time because, you know, New York has the best of everything every weekend. Um, so really just all these, a lot of these showcase festivals are just, 
you know, they're just a, a way to clump uh, a bunch of events together, uh, sell the sell placement to advertisers, um, and then just kind of, you know, exploit it from there. And right. you know, I kind of thought that that was bullshit, and that we should do something better than CMJ. Right. On. So you know, we we rented out this uh, this car wash and um, made sure not to honor CMJ badges like every other venue in the in the city and uh didn't didn't really have a lot of uh high hopes for it but ended up selling you know for this for this dinky little show ten dollar show with artists that frankly not a lot of them were commanding uh fees beyond a thousand dollars at that point right i mean at this point a lot of the artists were just really quite small um but i think because of the nature of the, the event and um, the curation, you know, more than a thousand people ended up showing up, um, wow. to this random show. That's awesome. And, um, yeah. And it ended up feeling like a really, really, you know, it was really, really fun, fun show. Yeah. So, Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, how, how did that, uh, just to kind of drill down on a micro level, like how did that, how did you get so many people showing up at this thing? It sounded like, yeah, you did, I mean, it I, sounded like that was came as a surprise, like a pleasant surprise to you. It was it was a pleasant surprise because initially, I mean, I think. Oh, well, we, sorry, sorry, Rick. What year was that? Uh, it was the last year of that CMJ was active in New York City, so I think it was. Um, I think it was 2015 or 2016. Uh huh. Okay. Um, and essentially, you know, a friend of mine had this car wash. We always look out for. Uh, we we always look out for weird, interesting venues to do things in. Yeah. And. Um, you know, rather than basically uh, from a from a pr- promoter presenter angle, uh, when you're working with these larger festivals like CMJ, they kind of give you this they give you the shit end of the stick. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways, they say, "Hey, you who we really actually need to make our festival pop off, um, we'll give you uh, almost no money for you to carry the bill." Um, and put all the financial risk on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll actually be more difficult to, to put together a show. Um, but we'll list it and people will come. Uh, it's really just a, <laughs> it's a really bad deal. It's a bad deal for everybody. You don't have and to, filter, the, the you don't have to filter your language, dude. Cause I can see you struggling for the nice words. I, I, I truly am. But you know what? I think, it's it's good to aspire to nice words. So, <laughs> all right. Well, if you weren't using nice words, what would you use for that one? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I all right. So it was a clu- it was it was like the clusterfuck. I use that word a lot. Yeah, to, I but, used that but, word a lot today for some reason. But anyway. Yeah, but basically, it just felt it felt like you know, I was just really sick of being pushed around by, um, by these showcase festivals and uh, feeling. Uh, pressure from the clout that they had and uh, just refused to give in to this narrative of, Hey, you really need us on this, um, this one weekend, right. even though you put together, um, you know, 10, 20 events a week, like you need us and you're going to have to change the way that you do things um, so that we can sell um, our wares to, to, to sponsors and advertisers. So what gave you um, the, con- what gave you the confidence 
just personally and professionally to just say, fuck that. I'm going to do things on my own. I mean, I just knew, well, I think the, the, the good thing is that even though it was like a, we didn't want to necessarily market it as an anti CMJ thing per se, mm-hmm. the feel of it certainly was. And that's what we wanted it to be. But you know, we also didn't want to, we didn't want the uh, event to just rest entirely on the uh, the idea of fuck CMJ because so CMJ is just, like a, is that another festival or is that a, another promoter? CMJ um, was the I mean ugh, it's so funny I like even have trouble um, articulating what it what it was but <laughs> CMJ was uh, college 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 music journalism yeah it was the uh, col- uh, college music journal uh so they and they had some kind of like radio charting mm-hmm. um element year round uh and some sort of editorial but every year they would do a showcase festival in new york city um and would take over pretty much pretty pretty much all the venues in the city right um, and and do this in, in a very similar way that that south by southwest would for uh, for austin mm-hmm. um and it was uh it was around for, for a, consider, a considerable amount of time um, until I guess they just, I don't know, I guess they just ran into scene at some point. Okay. I think that there's a lot of people that try to make a showcase festival work in New York City and it just doesn't. Right. Northside Festival was the the company that kind of picked up the torch from there and said, oh, we'll, we'll do it. Yeah, and they yeah. ended up crashing and burning and going under as well. So, so you were up against just, kind of these guys that were sort of that felt like they were entitled and entrenched. It sounds like from your descriptions, and then you, but so so, what gave you the confidence that you could go up against these guys, or, or what gave you the confidence that you're like, I just want to do this on my own, on, on my own terms. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, we knew that a lot of people would be coming out to New York for CMJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a magnet for college radio DJs. They specifically pitch to them and to the schools to say, Hey, you know, we'll give our C- our CMJ passes to your college radio station for ultra cheap with a low, low price of $500 per, uh, per student who'd like to come. Do you want to send a few people over? So you've got all these like rabid, rabid music fans coming from, from different colleges and um, there's also a considerable amount of promotion around the festival itself. So you have a lot of people looking at calendars, things to do during this weekend. Yeah. Uh, and we wanted to piggyback off of that and do something a little different because I think the one thing that you can rely on a lot of major players to do is to do things that are safe and boring. So, you know, we kind of thought if we can, we felt that if we could do something a little different that felt unique and authentic to the music scene in New York um, that, that it would, that it would do well. But frankly, at the time it was, it was a major risk for us. We hadn't, you know, it was pretty early in our in the infancy of our, of our uh, concert promotion days. And, yeah. you know, while we would do some larger shows here and there, we certainly wouldn't do um, a show of that size with artists who were that, emerging at that time mm-hmm. and were that small 
And that was really the, the biggest risk is because we were so afraid of taking the risk that we, we didn't really have budget, crazy budgets to pay for talent that would, you know, that casual fans would, would go listen to. We really just stuck to who are we most excited about that could maybe sell a hundred, 200 tickets. Right. Let's put them all together in one crazy, crazy bill in this gonzo space and, and see what happens. And, um, you know, luckily, luckily it went well and a lot of people had an amazing time. Yeah. That sounds really cool. So did that, um, at that point, um, actually tell me a little bit about, uh, writing and you told me you had a background in journalism and you came up in pitchfork. Was that right? Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, company that my, uh, the co-founder of Ad Hoc and I were at was um, we were editors at a blog that Pitchfork launched called Altered Zones, which is basically an outlet for a lot of things that at the time for Pitchfork were just too left of center for them to cover. Mm-hmm. Stuff that a lot of the music writers there and specifically at the time, the editor-in-chief, Ryan Schreiber, things that he just really loved but knew would not do well on pitchfork hmm. these were things like at the time that were just a little too abrasive and pitchfork was also just very i don't know i think it was a very at that time in uh like 20 2010 2011 just had like a very generic indie rock kind of sound um that really just yeah i guess it just wasn't it just wasn't progressive so a lot of things that that we covered were much further left of center um, and then eventually became popular and then got placement in Pitchfork. So we were the first to cover bands like, um, like, um, like Death Grips or, or Grimes, or we were the first people to write about uh, Odd Future and Tyler, the creator. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, just a lot of things that didn't fit into what Pitchfork was at the time, but then eventually it, it blossomed and, and began to cover more different types of music. Right. Um, so we came from that um, and just having our, our ears just ultra low to the ground in the music scene and really in the trenches of both the local scene in New York City, um, but also then just really seeing that there is this interesting variety of sort of internet-fueled DIY um and this mentality that was kind of surging through a lot of artists that, you know, maybe they weren't living in a town that uh, had a lot of stuff going on or like a, a really major scene, but they kind of contributed to it in a different way um, via SoundCloud and, and a lot of the other like, and Reddit and all these other like sort of online communities that you right. know, were not geographically um, locked. Right. Um, and you're involved in other, you kind of focus on other cities as well with your, uh, with, with promoting live shows too. Is that like, um, in Raleigh and Detroit? Yeah. Odd, odd places, but you know, essentially <laughs> we, um, I think just, we, we tried really hard to do things that we thought were really, were really cool and interesting. And mm-hmm. it kind of just, people just kind of saw what we were doing and they were like, Hey, you guys should really just book our venue for us and, and do and do stuff 
uh-huh. here because uh, you know there really isn't anybody booking stuff like you do and and promoting it in a meaningful way like you do. I mean, I think like a, a touchstone of the way that we that we approach promotion and just kind of exposing people to new things is really you know using our publication and and writing about the artists that we like and saying hey you know this is this is good you should really read this right. a lot of other promoters when they're when they have events it's just like the best that they can do is some facebook ads and fake tweets saying that there aren't very many tickets left and that they need that you've got to buy them right now um, that's kind of just like the very limited arsenal of tools that a lot of promoters have at their disposal. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a thing that eventually it, you know, it started as like a very grassroots thing where it's like, Oh yeah. Like obviously we want to like write about the bands that we like because we like them. Like, duh, this makes sense. But, um, ad hoc really has its own kind of like natural, authentic influencer element to it where, you know, we don't write about bands that we think are shit. Um, and, and people trust us when, when we do a show. Um, and I think that's kind of like the most important thing, um, at the end of the day is trust because I think people are just, they're just so sick of getting sold on something Mm. on the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they don't want to, they don't pay attention to, to, to people that are trying to pitch to them directly and say, you know, Hey, you got to buy this ticket. Hey, you gotta buy this. Uh, I don't know. I don't. Know what, I'm trying to think of like what hot item has been coming up in my. Well, I mean, you're kind of talking about TikToks, um, but it's like yeah, developing loyalty with with your fan base, for lack of a better word, your followers. I guess if that's a worse word, yeah. <laughs> but um, but for um yeah. those that um that are kind of oriented with the same sort of um. Uh, music that you want to follow and that you want to promote. It seems a very um, natural progression, right? Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is a, a, a natural progression. And I think, you know, I don't know. It's, it just seems like the right way to do things, I guess. Yeah. I mean, and you don't seem like a very mainstream guy in that sense. And I mean that in the best way. Is that kind of something that you've, that's, you've always sort of been? I mean, what's, what, what was it about, Where'd you grow up and what, how did you kind of, uh, uh, was like Rick always doing like the other thing <laughs> as a kid? <laughs> yeah, actually it's funny you say that. Cause yeah, my, my parents just have this, like this joke that they love to tease me about, about how I always take the most difficult indirect route, uh, for <laughs> anything that I approach or anything, you know, that I enjoy or I like. So yeah, this is very much in line with my, personality i guess yeah, yes yeah, yeah. you you nailed it very good um and uh yeah i don't know but it just i don't know it just kind of happens naturally i guess <laughs> well yeah i mean we talked about authenticity <laughs> at the beginning and this is like as authentic as it gets right you mean this is what you you do what you believe in you can you you um you know you talk about artists that you really like and you get to promote them and you get to do it from an inclusive uh, diversity inclusion um, aspect that you also personally believe in. So I think it's really beautiful. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I think, you know, I think it is dangerous to some degree and reckless to lead your business with um, more by ethos and, and vision than, than the balance sheet. But um, 
I don't know. I think I think it kind of comes down to having faith in um, in the scene in general and in the people that you work with. And uh, I don't know. I think if you just kind of are guided by the principle that if you do right by others and and do what you do what you think is right, then you know, then it kind of will work out in the end. Or at least that's the tell myself. You know, to <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, how do you feel it's been? How do you feel it's been working out so far? Oh God, I don't know about that. I mean, it's been it's been going and it's been working, but you know, I guess it's. It just, I guess it's a bad people, time to ask that. It's a difficult time to it, ask that question. Anyone can it, just go, "Yeah, it's shitty," and everyone's like, "Yeah, I know." <laughs> yeah, it sure it, it truly is. You're you're absolutely right. But no, I you know can't wouldn't wouldn't take back uh, any mistake that I've made because you know whatever makes me better, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, the the biggest takeaways from from business and moving forward as an entrepreneur is uh, learning from mistakes, right? I mean, you can't if you're not gonna if you don't make mistakes, maybe you're playing it too safe. I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So what's on the what's on the horizon for you? What do you what are you psyched about now for um, a lot of bands that you're promoting at this like at this moment or like coming into the fall, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're honestly, a lot of the shows that we have confirmed are not announceable yet. So, um, it sucks that I can't talk about them, but well, I'm I mean, in general terms, really you're booking some new, some bands, et cetera. Yeah. Booking, booking a lot of bands from abroad that I'm really excited about. Oh, really? Um, and hoping to give good, good, um, a, a good spotlight on them. Mm-hmm. Um, excited about that um yeah, i'm just really excited to for things to, to to return to normal and um to start going out to shows you know five six nights a week again right so, yeah for sure so am, dude so am i <laughs> i yeah, mean it's great gonna, when festivals yeah, are announced and everything and big tours are announced for like bigger bands for me for example but i'm looking forward to kind of for just the the local scene to kind of pick up and be able to just go and see different bands of different sizes and different size venues, you know, for sure. Absolutely. For sure. Chicago has so many amazing. Oh yeah. Venues it's, too. it's, it's, oh. it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, yeah. so you are promoting bands, uh, to come to the United States and, and play you, 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 you focus, uh, like what percentage of the, of your roster is, uh, is, um, international. Um, I mean, it's hard. It's if it were, I guess there's there's so many ways to answer that question, even though it's, it seems really simple. If I had it my way, there would be way, way more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, it's, um, you know, along the way, um, I think Ad Hoc started initially as something that was very careful and curated about its its approach and, and, and what it did and what it didn't. Right. Um, but as we kind of started to do more shows and, um, talk to more people. We kind of also came to the conclusion that um, <laughs> I think that we're just like a bit snobby in a lot of ways, uh, <laughs> and we're just like, oh, this this band that's actually totally decent and good. No, not good enough for us. Sorry, we will pass on your show. Uh, <laughs> but then we were realizing, hey, wow, actually that mentality um, deprives uh, the community in, in in an indirect way. 
you know, bands that really just don't get, you know, well, they end up playing at some really crappy venue that, you know, the show is not really promoted very well. And it just kind of like, it brings the whole thing down. So I think along the way, we kind of like broadened our taste. Like there's specifically, um, I, there's some genres that I, I don't really like to like discriminate by genre, but one of them that we happen to do a lot of shows in that I just cannot wrap my head around is pop punk. It's just something that I didn't grow up with mm-hmm. and, I didn't, and I, I don't particularly enjoy, but frankly has like a major community of people behind it, uh, and specifically young people. Um, so ultimately it's like, yeah, we ended up booking a lot of things that, um, you know, they're ultimately more for the community than to indulge our, our own tastes. So I suppose if I had it my way, it would be 50, 50 from international artists and, and domestic ones. But now it's more like, I don't know, honestly 10, 90, 10, but that's across, you know, a thousand events a year. So right. it's still frankly doing like quite a meaningful amount of work, bringing artists, a lot of them over for their first U S plays, uh-huh. uh, which I'm, super proud of yeah well in saying that you 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 sound like you're kind of struggling with represent with talking about artists that you're possibly not that great like they're maybe not entirely in your lane but before we were talking about representing artists (laughs) entirely that are in your lane right so it sounds like you're kind of working out how to walk that balance of bringing bands over that maybe um, you might not 100% love, which is fair because no one can love everything, right? But um, at the same time, you uh, I think it sounded like you were struggling with that. Would that be completely off off base? No, you're, you're, you, I think you nailed it. I think this is sort of something that comes with, with growth, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, that yeah. A, lot of, a lot of companies go through this where, you know, they have a very distinct vision or, or, uh, way of going about things and then they kind of they look at it and they say you know wow this really isn't the way to do things yeah this is too really depriving a lot of people (laughs) from from opportunities and you know honestly like you know make judgment calls off of listening to one record and maybe the record that they're going to be touring off of is entirely different and you know to a certain degree taste is you know it is somewhat if you want to be really blunt about it, it can be completely arbitrary and it really does come down to, you know, when you think about your values, it's like, what do I, what do I really care about most? I really care about really just helping people, connecting mm-hmm. people and, and mm-hmm. making, giving, giving folks a platform and, you know, whether or not they sound a certain way or whatever, it's, uh, you know, it, I suppose it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Yeah. Giving people a platform, I think that's the best way of putting it from your perspective. That's an interesting perspective. I mean, I personally love that there are so many different tastes out there, right? Like there's just so many different directions. And that turns me on with live music, especially to see how there's so many varying ways to get into shows and get and just be a part of the live music experience, right? So it doesn't matter it it almost at the end of the day it doesn't matter what you're listening to it it's that vibe of the live show it's seeing it performed it's the magic of hearing music in person yeah absolutely, absolutely. yeah 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 
That's what it's all about, man. So tell me what this, the Raleigh music community, Raleigh, North Carolina, why do you, why are you focusing on that city in particular? I'm just curious. I mean, I think there's a lot of incredible local artists that are living there. Hmm. Um, the venue that, uh, that we were working with over there, um, one of our first hires, this guy, Michael Peros, super, super awesome, sweet dude. Um, he ended up booking that venue um, before he came to ad hoc. And eventually, you know, um, it was something that kind of came together in a very sort of ad hoc way. Right. And, uh, you know, kind of naturally just happened. Um, and, uh, I don't know, we're really proud of the work that we've, that we've, that we've done there. It's a, it's a really incredible, incredible city. Especially, I don't know if you ever made it out to Hopscotch Music Festival, but... No. Incredible, incredible music festival. Um, in Raleigh. Put on every year there in, in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll keep so. it in mind. Interesting. Well, I want to come out to a, um, a show at a car wash or a boxing ring for sure. Yeah. Next time I'm in New York, I'm going to hit you up. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds fun. It's, it's hard because a lot of those shows don't really, um, you know, due to COVID and, and a lot of uh, worries from that side, you know, doing those pop-up shows like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're talking, we're talking maybe next year. I mean, I'm not saying I'm coming out tomorrow, but. Oh yeah, yeah. Come tomorrow. I'll, I'll find something. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. You're gonna manufacture yeah. and erase the pandemic just so that we can go to a couple shows. That'd be awesome. That work out. That's yeah. a win-win. So, <clears throat> what are your views? Um, before I let you go, Rick, let's talk about uh, Live Nation, AXS, big promoters. I know you've got a lot of opinions, as does everyone else. How have how have you seen them move around the New York scene and? Um, thrusting themselves into this, what their big moment of opportunity is. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, yeah, I think that last year or maybe pre COVID there was this, um, the large promoters were trying to, we're seeing that the talent was starting at a lower level than, than other markets in New York city. So, you know, Access made the move to acquire Bowery Presents. Live Nation acquired um, the venues run by Michael Swear, who previously was in partnership with Bowery Presents. So they, Live Nation, um, formed a partnership with um, Mercury East. So they also have mm-hmm. uh, Mercury Lounge, Bowery Ballroom under under the Live Nation masthead, um, and. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty it's pretty tough for for indies out in in New York City right now because they're competing on um, a, a very local level and it's quite different from from other territories. Um, yeah, so these big guys have kind of thrust themselves lower and lower into the food chain, right? And how does that affect? How does that most specifically affect you and your business? It makes it much harder um, for for us to get shows. Um, they have the ability to um, to just offer thing offer offer money that we wouldn't be able to offer mm-hmm. um, a lot of up and comers and and in really it's in early stages in a lot of artists' career where they're juggling a part time job on top of of really trying to make music um, 
their you know their business that they commit themselves to entirely and then somebody comes along and says hey you know we can we can give you an extra couple grand or 500 bucks or even you know we can give you a deal that doesn't even make sense relative to what is earned at the door um because we see your potential and you know i see the opportunity that they're able to to offer a lot of up-and-coming artists and mm-hmm. you know i certainly wouldn't i don't fault them for taking it whatsoever um i get yeah. it and it's a it's a struggle and it's hard um but yeah it does it does make things much harder for independents like myself. Um, recently, um, a live nation exec, um, splintered off, um, from, from there and started, uh, his own company called, uh, Brooklyn made, um, mm-hmm. and they'll be launching a new venue. Um, I believe in October, um, in Brooklyn, um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to see how that pans out over time. Um, yeah. So this individual broke off from La- from Live Nation was like, "Fucking, I'm 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 going in a different direction." But with his experience and background, is is kind of you're sort of optimistic about that potential? Well, hey, I mean, I, yeah, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I do know that um, promoters are s- sending out some pretty crazy offers right now. Um, when they, when they, you know, when they might not to, and some, some are trying to launch their businesses like mm-hmm. Brooklyn made others are also, um, being, feeling panic and worry about the bookings that they have coming in and they need flagship talent to relaunch their, their businesses. Right. And as a result, you'd, you'd think initially there was a, a movement of, um, a lot of flexibility um, from, from agents and artists on what venues and promoters could offer. But that has since rebounded and bounced and, and essentially gone close to business as usual where uh, people are highly competitive, especially in an oversaturated market, like, like New York city uh, where you see just, you know, offers that defy any sense of logic right uh, whatsoever um well you got to so, keep fighting the good fight and um you know promoting artists <laughs> that, you, that that you love and then you're kind of like yeah it doesn't really change it sounds like it doesn't change like a ton of the way you're doing it because you're like going against the grain constantly with artists that are not as well known that you love yeah yeah i think i think you're right about that but you know i guess i guess really just holding on to that idea of you keep doing what you think is right, then things will work out. It's a lot, putting a lot of faith in the idea of karma. So, <laughs> you know, hopefully I'll be talking to you in a few years, still doing, yeah. still, still in music. And I will not have just, uh, run away with my tail between my legs and, you know, gone off to work for some advertising company or something. silly like that. Well, I mean, if that's the direction you want to go, that's great, but I'm not going to judge, but I hope that I can, <sighs> uh, that we can, uh, circle back, in a little bit and uh and things are and 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 you got some great stuff to report to me not like the, not that you don't already cuz I love what you're doing I love your vibe and um uh and that your supporter of diversity in the industry is is fantastic and I I appreciate you uh spending the time Rick 
Yeah, thanks for having me, Josh. We'd love to come back anytime. Yeah, right on, man. Right on. I'd love to catch some of your shows, so I'm going to try to do that at some point. Not not tomorrow. Not tomorrow. Not this weekend, but soon. <laughs> <laughs> Great. All right, dude, man. Keep in touch. Take care. You too. Thanks again. Bye. Okay, that was Rick Leishtung of Ad Hoc Presents and co-founder of NYC Nightlife United, as you learned from that uh, really cool interview with Rick. Uh, they're such a, uh, a great human, easy to talk to, and I really love the fact that Rick um, believes in what they're doing wholeheartedly. In fact, I love what Rick said. He's Uh, keep doing what you think you love or what you think you want to do and it'll come around. Uh, I love that sentiment. I try to live by that. Uh, You know, I'm doing what I love to do and uh, I love that Rick is out there doing that and instilling that level of vibe in everything that, uh, that they do. Um, NYC Nightlife United, uh, we talked about uh, the ways in which it's changing in, um, you know, hopefully what's going to be the new normal post-COVID world, whereby earlier on it was to assist with those that were uh, affected by COVID-19 with financial assistance and and uh, other means. Uh, and Rick is moving in the direction of uh, promoting BIPOC and LGBTQ uh, support and diversity in uh, the live music areas. And I love that Rick is doing that and moving along in that fashion. Um, also love how we talk about ad hoc presents and, uh, the uh, the presentation of live music in uh, in unconventional spaces and promotion of of uh, shows in uh, in unconventional venues and other spots and I, I love that about what Rick's doing as well. Um, if you're interested in promoting uh, Rick's NYC Nightlife United, you can visit their website and donate to NYC Nightlife United. There, uh, the website is nycnightlifeunited.com. So please go there find out more about the organization and uh, and donate if you can or are so inclined. That would be great. Thanks again for your support for this episode. Really appreciate that you're here. Follow us on Instagram. We're at roadcasepod and uh, check out the website www.roadcasepod.com. Thanks again for your support and for being here. And I want to send a special shout out to Rick Leishtung for being here on this episode of Roadcase. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can Email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at roadcasepod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. Bye.